Hello and welcome to the next edition of the Work Healthy Podcast. I'm John Ryan and today it's all about fitness. It's a term that's used a lot. Everybody wants to be fit and to look good, but do we really know what it is to be fit? Well, today we're going to find out. We're being joined by former US Olympic team coach Brett Killick, author of the Amazon bestseller Seven Minutes to Fit. I wonder why that sold so well. And also someone who has worked closely with high-performance coach Jim Lair, who I interviewed in an earlier episode of the podcast series. If you haven't heard it yet, please go back and listen to it. It's brilliant. In this podcast today, we talk about the importance of blood work, age and metabolism, whether BMI is a fair measure, why fitness is a marker for mental health, and why 21 is the magic number. But before we start, I made a mistake during the recording of this interview. I was talking about um, the need to check whether or not you have good balance. And I talked about an exercise you can do in the shower, standing on one leg with your eyes closed for 30 seconds. Now, two things. Number one, it's actually quite slippy in a shower and it could be dangerous to do it in the shower. So maybe do it on a carpet or on a floor. Okay, a lot safer. However, also see if you spot this in the podcast i actually say instead of 30 seconds i say 30 minutes now that would be quite spectacular if you can keep your eyes closed and stand on one leg for 30 minutes it's only 30 seconds that's all you have to do if you want to try that out anyway let's start with that important question what makes someone officially fit the first step the first step is honestly your blood work. It's what is your doctor saying? Because, and this is why, I would love to come here and tell you that physical fitness is a self-assessment. If you feel good, you feel fit, you must be fit. But I've literally worked with thousands of people who say, oh no, I'm good. I, I'm great. I'm physically fit. I can't believe I'm fit as a fiddle. Despite the fact that I smoke the fight, now I, I feel great. And the reason for that is we're fallible as human beings. We have stories and we tell ourselves these stories and these stories are designed to protect our ego. We know that maybe we should be more active. We know we should make probably better choices with different habits in our life. But we have a story in there that says, I'm too busy. I'm too old, I'm too something, I can't do that. And we've learned to believe that story over the years. And so the next story that comes in is like, well, despite all that, I'm pretty darn fit. So I wish I could say it's a self-assessment, but quite honestly, it's a tale of the tape. In other words, you go to your doctor, your doctor takes your blood pressure, your doctor, doctor takes blood work, and you want, within those, you wanna make sure your overall, your blood pressure, under at or under 120 over 80. Now, some of these things, these numbers change over the years. So it's important yeah. to pay attention to it. Yeah. Uh, your total cholesterol, 200 or below. Body mass index, your height and weight, dividing height and weight between 18 and 24, being in there. Blood glucose levels below 100. Your A1C below 5.7%. Those are, and the markers could go on. It could go on and on, but looking at those numbers and your physician looks at your blood work, do they express concern? When they look at other things that they assess, do they express concern? Because 
if you're feeling good and you convince yourself you're very fit, but your physiology says, no, you're not. Your physiology can say, you can feel one way and your physiology says, well, statistically, this increases your likelihood for cancer, for heart disease, for diabetes, and all those different things that can really negatively impact your health. So it is important to see your blood work. Now, I do want to say that it doesn't always mean, that's why blood work gets funny, because sometimes people have these markers and they live a long, healthy life, but that is more of the exception than the rule. The second step, so first, fit. Mm. Blood work will tell you. Okay, because we're going to go into a little bit of that because I have some questions on just that alone. But go for number yeah. two. Number two, this is more subjective. Can you do the things you need to do in life that you need to do? You have the physical and mental capacity to do the things you need to do without pain, without undue struggle. So if you need to, if you're getting up in the morning, you just feel like crap every single morning you get up and it makes it hard to go to work and it makes your relationships difficult. I mean, the things that you need to do if your physical state is interfering with that, you're not healthy. Now, if you wake up and you feel pretty good, you can take care of your job, you can take care of your kids, you can take care of the people that, that are important to you and you can do things within your life that you need to do. That's a marker of health. It really is because we have to look at that mental aspect too. And finally, the third thing, can you do the things you want to do in life? So there's those things we have to do. You have to get up, go to work. You have to take care of your family, all these things. But how about the things you want to do? I always pose this question, John, when I'm working with somebody, I ask them, what do they picture doing in retirement? All of us imagine, everybody out there working Retirement is this magical land in our minds. And most people, even people that aren't currently physically active, talk about things like golf, tennis, pickleball now, uh, traveling, hiking. You know, they, they have a bucket list. They want to hike Machu Picchu or, or yeah, they, yeah. these big things. And the truth is, and this is just physiology. This isn't a, a downer, but the truth is, if you're not doing these things now, there's a statistical likelihood that it will be very difficult, if not impossible, to do them in the future. Your body responds to the demands you place on it right now. And so if you picture doing these things, or let's say you enjoy swimming, you enjoy going for a walk, you enjoy playing with your grandkids, you enjoy going out and throwing the, the ball with your, your kids, you enjoy uh, doing something with your spouse, your partner, your friends. Maybe you found, and again, we evaluate those stories that have told you, oh yeah, well, I'm just too old to, to go out and you know, do that this anymore, so I'm not worried about it. Boy, the things that bring you joy in your life, those activities and hobbies that bring you joy in your life, those are worth investing in. So if you're finding that, boy, the things I like to do, the things I want to do are being interfered with the fact that I can't go upstairs without losing my breath, I can't. Uh, I can't put my, I've lost the functional strength and, and mobility to put my suitcase in the overhead bin. I mean, these things that we want to do. So first step, health, look at the numbers, look at the blood work. Second step, can you do the things you need to do that you have to do? And third, can you do the things that you want to do? Okay. If all those three of those check out, you're most likely pretty physically fit. So um, I I get that. Um, let's could we jump into the the blood work piece? Because uh, mm -hmm. the one that always gets me is the the BMI. 
Um, so it, there's a lot of debate around that right now as to whether or not it is uh, a measure that you can actually rely on. Um, yeah. What's your view on that? Yeah, so body mass index, it's a relationship between your height and your weight. And so we look and see if you have a lot of body mass, if you weigh a lot and you don't have a lot of height, then the assumption is that you're overweight. And they've used that as a determinant They've used that as a determinant to de determine, well, are you overweight? Are you in this healthy category? That's been relatively controversial because of this. If you are an athlete, and particularly an athlete, or a mesomorph, in other words, someone who carries a lot of muscle, you are going to weigh more. Muscle weighs more per unit than fat does. So you're going to weigh more. If you come from a genetic line, where you have more dense bones, a dense skeletal system, you are going to weigh more. So here's my take on this though, John. I think that we are always, again, these stories play a heavy role in our life. We are mm. always looking for some sort of out, some sort of excuse. <laughs> if individually, if I'm going one by one, each individual person, I do think that BMI, it's not always 100% accurate, particularly mm -hmm. if you're, if you individually are an athlete, you are competing in sports, you're mesomorphic, you lift weights all the time. It, it could be inaccurate for you, but, but John, when we're talking about populations, yeah, it is, it's a very accurate number. And I okay. would, if, if we're looking at entire populations and you start to, well, unless we found a, a population of Roman warriors, of uh, you know Trojan warriors or something like that, then it's going to be accurate. So I think individually there is some fallibility. I still think for the general population, it is a reliable measure. I think it's very unlikely uh, that someone who is not an athlete and has a body mass index of 27 or 28 or 29 or even 30, it is very unlikely that they do not have some some health struggles when it mm. comes to the body fat and body weight so really the message here is for somebody like me i just have to get taller um and then <laughs> as soon as we can figure that out i'm with john i, I just want to get over six foot i'm right there just yeah, a little yeah. bit taller. those stretching machines that you used to see in the olden days yeah i'd like one Maybe of those medieval torture machines there john. <laughs> yeah 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 let's do that um <laughs> So it's interesting. I mean, like, how much does age come into uh, even just the blood work piece there? Age is a factor, uh, not as much of a factor as they once thought when okay. it comes to what they found, too. Up until recently, they really believe that your metabolism falls off significantly in your 20s and 30s. And, and recent uh, recent research, this is big research, too. This is this is significant. They've found, and it's a huge meta-analysis, they found actually that your metabolism actually stays constant, relatively constant into your 60s. So some of those, or we used to say, yeah, it's just my metabolism. Now we see a change in activity patterns with people, which results in a, a change in the muscle mass. There's some other factors at play when it comes to aging. You know, cell necrosis, and, and it does make it more difficult. Some of the markers of recovery uh, protein synthesis slows down as we get older, so it's it is harder to uh, create some of the results we did when we were 20 years old. 
but in general, when it comes to things like cholesterol, blood pressure, there are the many of the challenges that they believed were just because of old age. Actually, they found those blood work changes often come from a change in habits, a change in activities. Generally, as people get older, they start to become less active. And the irony of that is most people say their limitation to being active, exercising, participating, things like that, is time. They say you don't have time. Well, if you look at the equation, as we get older into our, our later years, we have more time. We retire, we reach the twilight of our career, we have more time. And they're not necessarily observing an increase in activity. Actually, they're observing a decrease mm -hmm. in activity as we age. And a lot of that is due to loss and balance because we haven't been working, you know, exercising our whole life, things like that. But age does impact it. However, it's more the behavior changes that we have control over that, that really have a biggest impact like that's a huge uh finding of that research because just it's if you talk to anybody they'd give you the sense that yeah the certain things start to tail off as you you get older but the the message is no keep at it it's you yeah. that's tailing off not your body so you got to keep up with your body so because uh, i mean you know we're, we're talking and hearing constantly about the hundred year life that you know people can expect to live to a hundred so therefore, um, it's really important that we look after ourselves uh, yeah. because we need to have our body operating at a really high level for a long time. Well, our brain too, and that's the, mm. the connection. A lot of people have turned fitness into this, into an idea that it's just this physical thing. Fitness means I'm skinny. Fitness means I have visible muscles. Fitness means I'm bouncing off the walls energy. Well, quite honestly, fitness is a marker of mental health as well. And so it's it's having if if we're looking at like you said more centenarians, and if that can be an expectation for human life, then we want to have our body, but we want to have our brain as well. I mean, I don't know if you know my family we've had Alzheimer's, and my my grandfather had a healthy body, but you know with Alzheimer's is a lot of his habits in his life, his brain went, and that actually prolonged the the suffering. So it's mm, it's. Mm. it's Goes both ways. No, absolutely. My mom was in her 80s and uh, she had vascular dementia. So um, it's there. It's it's around. I just keep hoping that they come up with solutions fast enough before I get to that age. And I'll please tell God, you, I get I'm, there. I'm there too. I yeah. got the genetic markers. I know I do. So it's. So um, in terms of looking at fitness in, in the broadest sense. OK, so we've talked about some of the, the markers um, and then the, the needs of what you need to do and then what you want to do. And that, that's fine. So if I want to be able to do everything I need to do and want to do, um, what are the things I have to focus on? And and in general, I'd love if we could just talk about a, a couple of things here. So general fitness, because the relationship between, you know, aerobic capability um, and sort of cardiovascular um, capability and uh, I suppose recovery is is one that I'd love to to talk a little bit about and then flexibility and movement because honestly this is you know somebody said to me um uh, that I should uh, every day in the shower close my eyes for 30 minutes and stand on one leg just because that's a test to see whether or not you're okay it's a lot harder to do than um, a lot of people listening to this might think so yeah. I mean obviously we don't want people falling over the like but <laughs> in a safe environment just try it because it's um, a, a bit harder. Then the other uh, two that I'd love you to talk into would be overall strength and the importance of, you know, muscle building and the like and endurance. 
and that whole idea of body composition. So I know there's a, a lot here, Brett, for us to get through, but if you could just um, maybe go through those, please. Yeah. So if you're going to, let's say you're, let's say you're relatively fit, you want to get fitter, or let's say you're someone who's done no exercise and you're looking at, you want to feel better. You want to have uh, all the things that, that make you move and, and think and act and feel better. There's different aspects of fitness, but I think it's important just to look at the overall because yes, our heart is an important, the, the, the impact of fitness on your heart is tremendous. And we look and see, well, what's the impact of fitness on your muscle? What's the impact of, of fitness on flexibility and mobility? Those are all different things, but understand if you're inactive, merely by doing anything, you will improve all those metrics. So you might not get them to some Olympic gold standard, but let's say you just, you do nothing and you start doing 10 pushups, 10 squats, 10 lunges every day. Mm. Well, you're going to see an improvement in strength, not power lifter, world-class power lifter strength, but you will see an improvement in strength. Your heart will beat hard while you're doing that. And so your body will respond. So just by doing anything, you can you can improve all those factors. But if we want to get more specific, let's talk about aerobic fitness. Again, yeah. aerobic fitness is your capacity for your heart to circulate, you know, your body to your heart to circulate oxygen through blood throughout your body, your ability to use that oxygen, that op oxygen to absorb into your system. All of those are impacted by your level of aerobic fitness. So how can you improve your aerobic fitness? Well, the recommendation from the Centers for Disease Control here in the United States yep. is 150 minutes a week, about 21-ish minutes a day of aerobic exercise. Aerobic exercise gets your heart rate up to a point where you can still have a conversation, but you don't really want to. That's the simplest way. Now, we can also look at a more exact way. You look at your, you take one, you take 200 minus your age. And that's going to give you a, a, a theoretical max heart rate. And then you take a percentage of that, 70 to 90% of that uh, is going to be your upper limit. But they've even found that people have improved some aerobic capacity with as low as 50 to 60% of that number. Now, I do want to warn you, anytime we're talking numbers here, and I just know this because I, I know these these numbers that are used, but I've also literally worked with thousands and thousands of people. When it comes to numbers like that, it's not going to be exact. But the best thing you can do if you're doing nothing now and you want to get more aerobically fit, talk to your physician to find out what they recommend for you based on your individual physiology. Because just me sitting here, you may have heart disease in your family. You may have a current sure. something you're dealing with. So talk to your physician to find out that intensity that's important for you. But beyond that, um, and I think I said 200, John, I meant to say 220. It's 220 uh -huh. minus That age. changes everything. Changes everything. I know. But so looking at that as the exact number, but, but honestly, just by doing anything regularly that is challenging and increases your heart rate, you're going to see an improvement in those metrics of aerobic fitness. So find something you like doing that gets your heart rate up, a dancing, it could be roller skating, it could be anything, gets your heart rate up, 
try to do it for 20 minutes now that they've seen that even if you do it for a short period of time, your body will respond. But that threshold number that's the prevalent in the research is about 20 minutes. And it doesn't have to be just 20 minutes steady state. You could do interval. You could do jumping jacks for 30 seconds, rest for 10 seconds, do jumping jacks for 30 seconds. Just try to accumulate about 20 minutes. What you'll see and feel from improved aerobic fitness is the fact that you go up the stairs, you're not gonna have to stop and rest at the top of the stairs. If you have to chase your kids or grandkids, you're not gonna have to stop and rest for 10 minutes after mm. you do it. And you're gonna be able to do physical things for longer periods of time, less struggle, less pain. And so it's gonna be just a general improvement, not only in your blood work, because aerobic fitness is associated with so much with the lowering cholesterol, improving blood pressure, significantly moderating blood sugar significantly exercise is the magic bullet for blood sugar can, can i just hold you there for one second I, i'm just interested i do um a 5k walk um so that's what is that about three and a half miles or something uh most days but i'm i have a dog with me so i can't run um does that mean that I'm going to have to find uh, another time to actually do kind of a, a 20 minute run in a day if I want to be fit? I have to get the heart pumping. So for you, John, I would say, hey, if your blood work, if if you're getting what you want to out of that, in other words, you're getting fit. I'm assuming fitness is part of your goal there. I'm sure you want to yep. give your dog some exercise. You're getting yeah, your dog yeah. Home, but you want to get fit. So you look at your blood work. Does your blood work tell you you're fit? All right, can you do what you want to do? Can you do what you need to do? If you match those criteria, then you could take it on and say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm meeting general fitness, but I want more energy. I want to have more stamina. So then I would say, well, find a more challenging route for your walk. Find mm. hills, find things. Yeah. Do a, a fast walk, slow walk, where you okay. go really fast for a minute, go really go a normal pace for a minute. So those are little things and everyone think about activities you enjoy doing. And again, if you're matching those fitness criteria, hey, there's probably you are doing what you can do to mitigate risk to your health as long as you're doing something. Sure. But if you say, hey, I personally want more, I want more of, of whatever it is, just make it more challenging and you're going to see a different so, result. So the message is if you're not moving, start moving. And yes. any movement will be better than no movement. Yes. If you are actually doing some, well, try and do 21 minutes a day um, at a, a level that, you know, you find it difficult to speak and chat to people at. So, so in other words, the heart is pumping a little bit um, yeah. and that that is going to make a, a difference. And then if you want to do more than that, great, but knock yourself mm -hmm. out. But um, that would definitely be a level of fitness that um, you'd be happy with. Okay, great. So you were going to go on to the, the next one. Uh, is it flexibility in movement or? Yes, yeah, so I was going to talk about resistance training. Okay, aerobic, yeah. Aerobic fitness has been the star of the fitness world. And for good reason, the data involved, if you look at the data, the impact of aerobic fitness on all the markers of health, it's tremendous. But resistance training, in other words, whether you're doing push-ups, whether you're doing dumbbells, kettlebells, barbells, stretchy bands, anytime you're moving your body in resistance against either gravity or an external force, your muscles have to contract beyond just normal 
your normal activity activities of, of daily living. When that happens, a couple things happen. For one, you create micro tears. The the muscle has to repair itself. It repairs stronger. But another thing, and I think this is almost even more important, is you're telling your brain, hey, brain, I know this muscle is hard to maintain. It uses a lot of energy. It's worth holding on to. Because what your brain does as we get older, our bodies are so efficient, John. Like, if you don't use it, your body just says, hey, just get it out of here. I mean, who who's the, I think Marie Kondo is the one that's saying that to clean your house, find things that that don't bring you joy and get rid of it and be a minimalist and get your body works like that. Okay. Your body says, why am I carrying this muscle? If you're not using it, this stuff takes energy to maintain. This stuff takes up space. We don't need it here. Let's get it out of here if, if you're not going to use it. So when you do resistance training, you say, hey, hold on to this muscle. If you hold on to more muscle, a couple things happen. For one, it's easier to do the things that you need to do and want to do. It's easier to walk up the stairs because you have strength. It's easier to get up out of a chair. It's easier to go play a sport if you want to play a sport. So all of those things are important, but also more lean muscle tissue aids with metabolism. Lean muscle actually is pretty expensive from a caloric standpoint, from a metabolic standpoint to, to maintain. And so if we're looking to, to really maintain that metabolism and strength and functionality into old age, Resistance training is important. Now, again, what's important with the resistance training? Find something that you have access to. You don't have to go to a gym. The one thing that gyms offer is just a lot of options. They've had to, they've had to invent so many different machines mm. just to replicate the way we used to live. Mm. <laughs> that, that's what you walk into a, a gym and it's, They've had to invent that to be like, okay, what did we used to do? We used to go hunt and carry heavy things around the farm and plow the ground. And well, okay, let's put a cable. And then the cable's kind of like you're chopping an ax and that that's what the weight room is. So a lot of options, but you don't have to use the weight room. Matter of fact, we didn't have weight rooms for thousands of years. We looked really good. <laughs> if you look at the <laughs> statues, we looked pretty darn good and there wasn't a gym in sight. So even things like push-ups and sit-ups and lunges and squats and body weight. If you have a dumbbell at home, there's all kinds of things. There's a lot of resources out there. But I encourage you, if you're going to do resistance training, utilize your whole body. Do some lower body exercises and upper body exercises. Don't just do crunches. Don't just do curls. Think of the large muscles, prioritize your large muscles, your legs, your chest, your back. Those are your, your core muscles. Those are your primary movers. Those muscles are going to make life easier for you. Those are the muscles that are going to help maintain your metabolism, do all those different things. If you just do some curls and crunches, hey, that's great, but those are actually relatively small muscles. Those aren't going to really have an impact as much on your overall quality of life. So that's- you And just so this, that I get that right, the curls and those, where do they affect best? Yeah, so if, if you're doing smaller muscles, let's say you know, biceps, triceps, yeah. okay. abs, things like that, it's good if you have the time and you have the energy and the interest, it's gonna make them look good. It's gonna contribute to your overall strength, which is a good, it's all good. Yeah. However, if you, only got time or interest or energy to do a few exercises 
aim for those. I'm going to tell you they're harder to do because they use more oxygen. They're bigger muscles, but it's a bigger bang for your buck in a shorter amount of time. And again, those are things that work your chest muscles, push-ups, things that work your back muscles, pull-ups, anything where you're pulling a heavy weight towards you, lunges, squats, lower body exercises. These are all exercises, folks, that after you do a set of them, your heart rate's going to be up. Your brain's going to be saying, that was hard. I don't know if okay. I want to do that again. Okay. That's, that's the test. Right. Yeah, okay. Right and and you, you mentioned the word core. I mean, like the, to me, that is something that, that people talk about a lot when they're talking about fitness is your core. So what is your core? Uh, it's a very good question because I think the assumption by many is that your core is your abs. A lot of people will do crunches all day and say they're working their core. The, the rectus abdominis, your ab muscles are part of the core. But honestly, your core is if you were to, it's kind of morbid, but if you were to cut your, your arms off about mid-bicep and cut your legs off about mid-thigh, yeah, that what's left is essentially your core. Your core isn't so much individual muscles as it's a relationship of muscles. So it's your core, their core muscles and that relationship is responsible for keeping your spine, the integrity of your spine as you move. So think about what that involves. It's the muscles that pull you forward, your rectus abdominis, the muscles that pull you upright, the rectus spinae, the muscles that help you stabilize through your lats. Your lat muscles are part of the core. Your, your intercostals and your ribs that help stabilize the rib cage as you're moving. All of these muscles work together, your psoas, your hip flexors, to create integrity of the spine and so that you can transfer energy from the ground through your legs, through your midsection to your upper body, like you would if you're throwing or, or doing something like that. So your core is something that helps keep the integrity of your spine. Your core helps keep your posture. Again, that's fine. But your core is not just your abs. Anytime you're okay. ch doing chopping exercises, great core exercise. But even things like lunges and squats, anything, push-ups are an amazing core exercise because you're holding your spine against the forces of gravity and you're maintaining the integrity of your spine. All those muscles have to work together to keep your spine from turning into a question mark. So it's not necessary mm. to do these exotic exercises or to lay on your back and do hundreds of crunches. Your core is activated if you're up and moving. Okay, so endurance, is that related to your core? Endurance is a, a measure of, of aerobic, essentially aerobic capacity, but it gets different definitions, but honestly, endurance from the classical standpoint is can you repeat an effort over and over and over again without significant detriment? So it's it's really a measure of your aerobic capacity. Okay, because it's funny with the aerobic capacity, I always felt that, you know, the, the test of fitness was could I run 100 meters and how long was it going to take me to get my heart rate back to the resting heart rate that it was before I ran the 100 meters? But but it's 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 more more than that. It is, but I, I think that is a pretty functional. If you don't like, I always I always default to blood work. And, but if it, and that would be just it fits under the criteria of can you do the things you want to do? If you go and chase your grandkids across the yard, whether it's a hundred meters, fifty meters, or four hundred meters, when you're done, 
can you recover within a reasonable amount of time? When I'm working with someone, I like to see that regardless of what we just did, the intensity of what we just did, if I have them just rest, I like to see that heart rate come down pretty significantly within the first minute mm. afterwards. Yep. If their heart rate stays elevated, I'm a little concerned that, that we want to work on. And so if, if, if you're someone out there that, that wants to kind of get a metric at home, well, go do something that you would usually do for go walk to the end of your block and back and time. How long does it take to get back to, let's just say, let's just blanket under a hundred beats a minute. How long does it take you to get under a hundred beats a minute after you walk down to the block and back if you're mm. someone who doesn't exercise, if it takes more than five minutes, if it takes more than three minutes, probably is telling you that you could see some improvement there and think about what that improvement would do. You know, you chase your kids across the lawn or you go out and you, you play football, soccer you know, with them and you can keep doing it. You can go out mm. there for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. That's not just a sport. That's not just fitness. You're improving the relationship with someone or something that you really care about. Sure. Okay, cool. So flexibility and movement then. I, I mean, is this now into a different space where we're talking about yoga and Pilates or, or the like? It could be if you enjoy yoga, if you enjoy Pilates, there's you can get all the benefits we just talked about from yoga and from Pilates. Now, I know some people are sitting there, some runners are saying, you can't get aerobic fitness yeah. from yoga. Now, you have to understand, too, that if you were to go to India and find a yogi guru and say, is yoga the best activity to improve cardiovascular fitness? They'd say, well, that's not what yoga is designed to do. Yoga means to yoke. It's to, to connect the brain and body. It's, it's to develop self-awareness of movement. They're not doing it to improve aerobic capacity. They're doing it for something different. But if you go to Los Angeles or out in San Diego where I live, you could go to a yoga class where the, I've seen yoga classes where they have dumbbells. I've seen so really it depends on the interpretation of wherever you're doing it. I've seen aerobic yoga. I've seen everything. So the, the pure yoga, not designed as a resistance training program or aerobic training program. It's not going to deliver those goals per se. However, again, doing something is going to be great. But to get back to mobility and flexibility, I think that it isn't different. I think that I think a big mistake we've made is saying, okay, well, there is resistance training, there's aerobic training, there's a flexibility training in a good program. If we're doing a movement program, if I'm working with my clients, my Energy 100 program, my own individual clients, or if I'm working with groups, if we're doing resistance training, I'm prescribing exercises that improve range of motion at the joint. And that's really what flexibility is. You think we're born being able to move in amazing ways. Watch a Watch a, a two-year-old move. Mm. That was us. We could, yeah. it, my, my daughter would like, she'd drop something on the ground and go down to pick it up in the most perfect squat. I've trained Olympic athletes and I haven't seen a squat that perfect. Just, there's no limitations. And that was all of us. And then over 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, we convince our brain by not moving we sit in desks, we hunch ourselves over, we convince our brain that we don't need all that range of motion anymore. We don't need all those checks and balances around our joint that allows it to move like that. We just need enough motion to stand up out of a chair so we can go get over to the driver's seat of the car. So then we can leave the driver's seat of the car 
and sit down at our desk. We've convinced our body, and we do that in reverse at the end of the day. We've convinced our body that's all we have to do. So to break that pattern, if we're if this is human life right now, which it largely is, we're just hunched over a yeah. desk, hunched over something, do something that's not that. Yeah. And and out of interest, like standing desks, are, are you a fan of that? Is it is it am I being fitter if I'm standing rather than sitting? You are. And there's there's data to support it. Now, not necessarily standing all day. They found yeah. there's some biomechanical challenges, but if you have a desk that goes up and down, to decrease the amount of time we sit, anything we do to decrease the amount of time we sit every day is going to improve metrics of health. The average, and this is just data out of America, but this really can be compared to any large economy, any emerging, any you know, world economic mm. superpower that they were all, cat. everyone's capitalist at this point, just about. But if someone's working around, if you're working around the clock, if you're part of that, it's a high likelihood because the average American is inactive between nine to 11 hours a day independent of sleep what they found when they compared those numbers to health data when you're that inactive it increases your likelihood of morbidity and mortality your risk of morbidity and mortality by about 40 percent if the goal and they've just set this as a standard goal and there there's different data trying to get that sitting time or inactive time per day below five hours is what they've kind of called out as a goal we could see some improvements so a standing desk even though you're not aerobically challenging your heart is better than sitting all day long and just changing it up. So, and that's, that's aerobic fitness. But again, we're talking about mobility here. If I'm hunched over all day, I'm telling my brain, Hey, this is me now. This, this is the function I need. Make it easier for me to get into this hunched posi position. So my brain says, okay, if this is you, I'm going to shorten your pec minor. I'm going to shorten your hip flexors and so as. I'm going to make it so it's easier for you to hold this seated position. Well, to quote, get mobility there. Yes, flexibility exercises. Absolutely. Yoga, just standard flexibility, holding stretches for between 15 to 30 seconds or more. Those have been found to help improve range of motion, which is flexibility and mobility. However, just by moving more, moving your joints, Dancers aren't flexible because they stretch. Dancers are flexible because the activity that they do requires them to develop the strength and range of motion to kick above their head. Now, yes, after they dance and kick and do all those you know, martial artists and dancers, after they do their activity, they go and stretch to say, okay, you know, I just got everything all excited. Let's remind it. But by facilitating activity, just by doing something, you're improving mobility. Now, if you do something that really challenges the range of motion, let's say a good lunge, a good lunge challenges the range of motion of your hips. So does a good squat. So does a good push-up challenge the range of motion of your shoulder and, and, and assesses, can your scapula move the way it's supposed to? So when you do exercises correctly, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone there, which means you're doing two things at one time. Mm. And, and that the, the, the body composition one, talk to me a little bit about yeah. that. Body composition often is your percent of body fat. So if you look okay. and you see how much do you weigh, well, out of that, let's say you weigh 100 pounds. Mm. If you're 20% body fat, and there's different ways to assess that, most of them are technological. But if you're 20% body fat, that means that out of that 100 pounds, 20% of that is fat. 
It's mm. adipose tissue. It's it's not helping you move. It's not really facilitating your metabolism. Now it's there for stored fuel. It's there to help keep you warm. It's there to protect your organs. We need fat. But what has happened because our, our ancient brains and bodies haven't adapted to this strange new world we're living in. Yeah, it really is. And so what happens is we accumulate body fat at a rate that our, our brains, it's unfun, it's dysfunctional for, for our human body and brain. And so the numbers for that, if you're a male below 20% body fat at most ages, again, I'm putting out a wide swath there, Yeah. but if you're below 20% body fat, odds are there's not really a significant threat to your health from your percentage, your body composition, because you have the body fat and then you have lean muscle. And those are kind of your lean tissue, really lean tissue. It's your bones, your teeth, your muscle. Uh, lean muscle mass is the amount of muscle you have, and that's the other. So your 20% body fat and 80% your lean tissue. So you look at all these metrics and you realize, okay. Uh, and for by the way, for women, 30% uh, is the number. Women naturally can carry more body fat. It's healthy. They have a different okay. hormone profile, different functionality. Being able to 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 gestate babies. I mean, that's an amazing yeah. thing. And women have more body fat for that. And it's, they can carry more body fat and be healthy. So body composition is something that, you know, if you're at 21%, I wouldn't lose too much sleep. Yeah, so yeah. Make sure that it's trending in the right direction. Or if you're a female, it's 31%, just trend in the right direction. Cause it does have impact not only on disease, but just quality of life. I mean, think hmm. about, uh, let's say you're hundred pounds and you're 30% body fat. If you're hundred pounds, 30% body fat, you're carrying around a 30 pound backpack mm. everywhere you go. Think about what that does for your joints, your knees, your hips, your back. So body composition is a, a piece of the puzzle. So I've got it right. So cardiovascular aerobic capacity, building that flexibility, movement, strength, endurance, body composition, all of those factors, I've got to take them into consideration. I've got to kind of build them into my day on a, on a constant basis to make it happen. One of the things I'm really kind of also interested in here, like, I mean, quick story, my son, uh, when he was 18, he's 21 now, um, a football match, and suddenly uh, at the end, um, they decided that they'd have um, a, a end of season. Um, all the, the dads, uh, there were no mums particularly on that day, it just so happened, but all the dads against all the, the sons. And um, we had a great match. Absolutely, such fun, um, and and I was quite happy with how I performed. Um, however, two days later, I think it was nearly two days later, I could hardly walk. Yeah. So I, I'd just like to talk to you about recovery, please. Yeah. <laughs> and um, that whole process, because I, I, it's become a thing here. I'm sure it's probably in the states too. Um, uh, recovery rooms and people really getting into the need to recover in a particular way. So if we've inspired people to 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 get fit, how can I then make sure that I'm recovering in the right way? Yeah. Well, when you do like you did, you went out and played football against your son and you hadn't done it in a while. You just went into a room. It would be like you went into a very quiet church and started playing rock and roll super loud. <laughs> That's what you did to your physiology. So your, your heart rate went way up and your muscles went into range of motion that they haven't done before. And you're asking them to contract at a, at a, a tension that they hadn't in so long. And 
you've made all these demands and, and when you exercise hard, even if you're a regular exercise, you go and exercise hard, this is the, the, the chaos that we create. And what recovery is, recovery is, is that can we bring that, can we clean our room after, a, after chaos? Can you realize we release all kinds of hormones, our heart rate, our, even our peripheral nervous system changes? You know, sympathetic fight or flight nervous system fires up when we're exercising hard. So we create this major disruption to homeostasis. So in order to help our brain and body get back to normal, there's some things that we can do. And they've really made a pretty profitable industry out of this. The truth is the number one, if we want to talk recovery, again, the goal of recovery, let's get your heart rate back to something normal. Let's get a peripheral nervous system back to something where it's more parasympathetic tone instead of, which means rest and digest. Can we allow some of the, the hydrogen ion, a lot of people call lactic acid, which is not totally true. We get high hydrogen levels in our blood after we go and do something really hard. Can we help clear that out? Can we put glycogen back into our muscles? That's a nutrition thing. Can we, all of those are related to recovery. The number one thing, Number one, and if you look at the data, this is the one, if we want to look at factors of recovery, the markers that they can look at, sleep, sleeping seven to nine hours is the number one recovery agent. Okay. With a bullet, with a bullet. When I was a coach at the Olympic Training Center, those athletes would train and then part of their training was a midday nap. And then they tried to get at least eight or nine hours of sleep a night that led the charge then nutrition because your fuel your ability to restock your fuel stores getting glycogen back in your muscles getting the things that your body needs to to perform again that's a a, a tremendous part of of recovery but then there's the the cold baths and, the, and all those different things and all of them have their own theory with cold baths, well, we can decrease inflammation. And there's some small population data on all, I've seen it on everything. They have the, the Normatec boots, the foam rolling and, and massage. It's all good. However, I, I just think it's ironic. I'll talk to people who are sleeping four and five hours a night and they're paying $300 a month to go to these recovery places. I'm like, listen, get your nutrition in line, sleep more. And you're going to feel like a different human being. And there's nothing wrong with then going to the ice tubs and things like that. But let's look at the core stuff first, because what you find, honestly, what they found in the research is all those things, the ice tub, the, the main thing that they do is they feel good to the athlete. They create this physiological disturbance, whether it's pain or it's pleasure. So pain is the ice bath. Mm -hmm. Pleasure is the massage. They both are major dopamine releasers. Yeah. People feel better. And that helps with, that helps control our hormone levels, that helps control our, per, our peripheral nervous system, parasympathetic sympathetic tone. So it, it honestly, if it feels good, if you feel recovered <laughs> from one of those things and you have the money to do it, I'm not going to say it's bad, but I'm telling you, if you want to see a major difference, pay attention to nutrition, pay attention to sleep. Okay. Um, I, I don't know if an age thing uh, that a lot of people I know um are when they're after doing exercise suddenly their knees their knees are starting to go and these people then in 10 years time are getting their hips replaced and they're like is that because they're doing things incorrectly 
or is it just you know your muscle around your knee starts to to wear out it could be one or the other but there is a reality of if if let's let's use an analogy of a vehicle so a car door has a hinge that hinge on the car door is designed for the car door to open and close but if I stand there, I open and close and open and close and open and close. And I do that multiple times a day, every single day. Eventually, even though it's designed to do that, it's going to get a little agitated. It's going to get something in the joint. And that's our bodies the same way. If you, if you use it a lot, you're probably going to get a little tweak here, a little tweak there. But I'll tell you, I would rather be in a physical therapist's office as I get older than an oncologist or a cardiologist. Mm, mm, yeah, that's a that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, there's a big link, isn't there, between physical health and mental health? Mm-hmm. Huge. And they and that is more pronounced now than ever. And one of the, the reasons, we've gotten a lot into neuroscience. We know more about the brain, the structures in the brain, the impact of habits and behavior on the brain. We know more about that now. We're learning more about that now more than we ever have in history. And what they've always known that, well, when someone exercises, they seem to just be more vital. They seem to just have more pep when someone is, is more active. And that was just sort of a phenomenon. Hey, go be active and you'll be more peppy. Mm. But now that we have better instrumentation, we realize that people are more active. Uh, we actually, particularly when you exercise, you actually impact structures in your brain associated with mood associated with mood regulation associated with hormone release and so when you exercise things like serotonin catecholamines in other words upper hormones you know things that mm. kind of get your body up and going those are released dopamine is another feel good it's a reward it's part of your reward system so those are increased but what's interesting is they found that people that act, they found this in rats and they're starting to observe this in, in human brains but uh, your hippocampus a part of your brain that's responsible for so much, even involved in things like decision-making sometimes and memory, and it actually grows when you exercise. Mm. They see increases in brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF, which is responsible for keeping your brain learning and plastic, and it helps build new synaptic, which is the little communicators yeah. in your brain. So they're, they're finding that there's method to that madness. So if you go out and exercise, it's not just that you have more pep. You're literally changing how your brain works for the better. So it's a, it's a tremendous. And just they're finding even the, the personal autonomy, you know, the, the self-efficacy of, of the fact that you are taking yourself out and putting yourself to this challenge, that's important. Mm. Our, our sense of self-value. So tremendous link. They're finding that, that, that people that exercise decrease symptoms of anxiety, and there's all kinds of, of theory behind that, observed theory. So there's a, there's a tremendous link there. So, Brett, if, if we're bringing results back to an organization and it's clear that the biggest presenting issue is that people aren't fit, um, from a programmatic point of view, what can organizations actually do? Yeah. And so I've worked with a lot of organizations anywhere from organizations that you can tell that they're just doing it to check a box. Hmm. And then there's some organizations that are doing it because they believe it's part of their mission statement. 
And the, the first thing, honestly, and this is born out in the research, they look and see, hey, what is necessary for a company to be successful? The first thing is to really educate the, the purpose of health, educate the employees so that they understand that this isn't just a box check. This isn't just an us for, because again, some organizations, the culture is very us versus mm -hmm. them. It's mm -hmm. upper management, lower management, or, you know, and the workers, and if management tells the workers to do something, immediately they're like, hey, don't tell me what to do. I'm here to. So if you can educate, they say it's important to educate. It's important to have support. So you, you educate, you, you have available resources. What does this do for you? How does exercise and healthy habits, how do exercise and healthy habits improve your life as an employee? How does it help you be a better father, friend? Uh, spouse, uh, you know, football player, whatever, mm. personal well-being. So that's very important. They found that's a very important part of the program. The second part is offering support. Make sure you're not just saying, hey, everybody go exercise. So support in the fact, do you have uh, maybe fitness professionals on staff? Do you provide programming that a, a fitness professional has done? Do you, some organizations go as far as to create support groups, which has been one of the most effective long-term strategies. Uh, not as many organizations implement it because it's its whole other, you know, depending on the size of staff you have to implement these things. Uh, offering rewards, tying the outcomes that you want as an organization, improved health metrics, decreasing obesity, decreasing risk for heart disease, cancers, because all those things increase healthcare costs. Yeah. And so if you can decrease those individually, uh, there's organizations that do, you get a percentage off of your healthcare, you know, you get money back at the end of the year, you can earn days off, you can earn merchandise. And so having a reward system, having access, providing access, not just creating a gym, but providing maybe during the lunch hour, you provide 30 minutes a day for people to go on a walk or exercise or some organizations, it's an hour. And so all of those things, educating Telling, educating the employees as to what's in it for them, providing support, you're creating opportunities from a time standpoint and even a, a, an access standpoint. Those are all important for an organization and focusing on the behavior change, not just saying, hey, everybody go exercise. It's giving people resources to change the behavior that they want to change. And so all those things have been associated. And you know, why are organizations doing this? I'd love to say it's purely just out of the kindness of their heart, but healthcare costs are outrageous. And the data is clear that if your employees meet the metrics of health, you will spend significantly less per employee on healthcare costs, significantly less. And they perform better, you know, let's be honest. They're, they're, absolutely. And, and what mistakes have you seen that organizations have made like that you think, hey, don't make that mistake? I think that the biggest mistakes are when management sees a bottom that they they get this idea, upper level decision makers see our healthcare costs are so high. We need to get these down. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna give a lecture on how these people need to get healthy. <laughs> and so they have a healthy day and they get up yep. and they have a bunch of people come and they tell them, okay, today's health day, you need to get healthy. And then it's gone. Yeah. It's or if it's not modeled by the leaders, I think that's a huge mistake. And, and from a functional standpoint, I've worked with a lot of organizations. It doesn't matter how many 
bells and whistles your program has, if health is not being modeled by the leaders, if you're saying, hey, we you can exercise during the daytime, and if if workers don't see leaders doing that, they will not do it. It's the same within the home, John. Like yeah, as a, absolutely. If you're not modeling, your kids aren't going to do it. So yeah. the leaders modeling these these 30 day weight loss challenges and stuff like that. I personally am not a fan of them. They get people really excited. They see these short term results, and it just hasn't panned out to any long term impact. I'm not a fan of those. Okay, so how do you then make it stick? How do you make this become a habit uh, for people? Yeah, so the habit from an organizational standpoint, it goes into that support piece. So all those things that I said, you know, obviously educating, making sure you have support, making sure you have access, and but providing that support so that it's not just this, okay, I got started, I had this grand finale, and now I'm done. So is there is there ongoing support? And part of that support is helping individuals create smart goals, just like we would in business. You know, are, are your goals specific? So if someone says, I want to get healthier, what does that mean? Do you want to manipulate certain things within your blood work? Do you want to hit a body weight goal? Do you what does health mean to you? Let's get specific. Is it is it measurable? Okay, can we measure whatever you're saying? They just say, well, I want to be fitter. How do we measure that? So it's getting specific. Is it attainable? Is it something you can actually do? Do you have access to what you need? Is it realistic? And I think the realistic piece is where we often see a large departure. A lot of people say, well, I'm going to get down to 5% body fat. And they're starting, they're smoking, they're drinking. They're, they're Not that they can't do that. But I think often we say, well, I'm going to work out every day of the week. Well, if you worked out zero days of the week, or if all of a sudden you think you're going to never eat sugar again, or you think, I think some of these things just aren't realistic. So start with something simple. Start with something so simple you can't fail. Mm, I think I think one of the things one of the things that you said there is really important um, about sort of organization setting up groups because. One of the things I've heard is that if you are going to go for this and make a commitment, it's really important that you, even in your local town or whatever, get a group of people to say, we're going to do this together so that you'll feel that you're letting down people if you don't. So on the morning when you wake up and you don't want to get out of bed at six o'clock or whatever to do that, that you, oh, there's people outside my door who are going to be going, where are you? Well, that goes to the next. And I was talking about making these goals a certain way. That's important as far as, you know, being realistic. Are they time bound? But then it goes to creating that environment. And yeah. so the environment is what have you done to your environment to increase the likelihood that you're going to stick to these goals? And the research suggests make it public. Let everybody know what you're doing. Get accountability. And you talked about a group. A group is tremendous accountability. If you exercise with somebody, it significantly increases the likelihood you will stick to the program. Mm. Some people, though, are lone wolves. So for those people, it's finding, well, what keeps you accountable? If you're someone that says, yeah, I just don't like being around all the people. And well, that's fine. But finding what is going to keep you accountable. So groups, a partner, something public is 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 very important for a lot of people. But if you're not one of those people, what is it that is it a friend? Is it an app? You know, maybe I, there's all kinds of apps on the phone that give you rewards for, you know, my my Apple Watch will tell me, hey, great job, you've done 10 miles this week. You get a sticker, and you get enough stickers, and you get so you know, it's 
it's finding those type of things that accountability piece is huge but then it's also again you talked about sticking with it long term guess what we are all fallible the only thing if you, if you have an idea of a, a program that's going to get you healthy the only thing i can guarantee you the only thing i can guarantee you is that it's not a perfect program <laughs> You're going to oversleep your alarm. You're going to go on vacation. You're going to get sick. You're, someone else in your life is going to need your time and energy. The important piece is to understand that's part of the puzzle. Mm. And just because you, you know, went to a birthday party and ate the way that you don't want to eat, or just because you overslept and didn't exercise, that means nothing. Mm. You got to figure out when you get a setback, what's going to compel you to, to keep going? And I think it comes back to, are those goals, are those goals, goals you understand? Are they important to you? Are they realistic? So I think those are all really important pieces of the puzzle there. Create yourself. It, is, it is easier when you're living in San Diego though, isn't it? When it's like 73 degrees nearly all year long. Uh, yes. I'll, I'll tell you this though. I will say <laughs> this. So you know who beats San Diego for the fittest city in the world? Mo almost there for a while it was almost every year you know who tell does? me minneapolis minnesota and why is that it has talk about climate so i it's because san diego yeah it's nice outside every day minneapolis i've been, you ever been to minneapolis in january it's no. like being in antarctica it's it's free there's penguins running around it's freezing it's the culture that there's a lot of People have just made a decision that the city really facilitates. They have areas where you can go cross-country skiing, that the, the city supports outdoor yeah. activities. And people have just made, and a lot of people say, well, it's there's a lot of Scandinavian blood, a lot of Scandinavian tradition there. And so the winter doesn't scare them. A lot of people's families are originally from Scandinavia that go there. But you know, it the environment, the weather, the things like that play a role, but it's not the ultimate limiting factor. No, but I agree with you. I mean, cycle lanes and, you know, running tracks and making it easy for people to to do what's right. And and honestly, that's what it's about. So listen, thank you so much for your time and your knowledge and your expertise. Um, is your seven minute program still available? <laughs> yeah, the, seven minutes to fit on Amazon. Uh, also, <laughs> brettclicker.com. Check it out. I have all kinds of different programs. If you're someone who is you or your organization wants to make some strides uh, reach out contact love to help great listen thank you so much for your time all right and um, love to everybody in san diego i will get thank back you. there soon <laughs> thank you now you have absolutely no excuses but to get fit and to inspire others around you to get fit also just remember 21 minutes a day that's all it takes my thanks to Brett for a brilliant interview packed full of fabulous information. Next up in the podcast series, I talk to the anxious achiever, Maura Ahrens-Mila. Brilliant interview again. Don't miss it. And as usual, do pop an email to info at healthyplacetowork.com if you want to propose a topic for our podcast series. Thanks again for listening and feel free to follow me on LinkedIn. Take care.